Amen. We are beginning a brand new series this morning, and as we begin, starting off on the right foot is the title of the series. And uh, I do want to share, I know last year for for maybe many, uh, there were things during the year that uh, you did not expect, uh, you did not enjoy, uh, you did not welcome into your life, and yet there they were, they happened. Uh, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe things that affected your job or your family or your career or different things, maybe something with your children. Uh, We know there's things in life that happen through the course of a year that we do not necessarily want in our lives. We didn't ask for them, but there they are. There they were. And so I I know that's the case, but I do want to encourage us this morning as we begin this series about the coming year, I do want to say let's not just look back and, and as a trend anymore, I, I've seen it ever since really 2020, where at the end of the year, I keep hearing people say, you know, uh, I didn't really enjoy this last year. So for example, 2022, uh, it was not a great year. It was a crazy year, blah, blah, blah. I hope the next year is better. I, I see that all the time. I hope the next year is better. I hope the next year is better. Now, I don't know if that's something that's really been going on forever, but to me, I've seen it more and more the last couple of years. And I understand what people mean. Maybe again, they went through something that was a not a great situation, and they're, they're, they're affected by that. But I want to encourage all of us as we enter into this new year to say, yes, there was things I didn't want or enjoy last year. There was things that I didn't really look forward to. I had to go through them last year. But I pray that we would enter this year saying, Lord, thank you for this last year. Amen? Thank you for this last year. Because this was a, a year, we pray, that he grew you in him and grew you in understanding and grew you in wisdom. And yes, there was things you went through, but you do realize in Christ, there's no such thing as a wasted tragedy. Everything that we go through as followers of Christ, God uses, according to Romans chapter 8, for our good. He glorifies his name through the things we go through. So yes, there's things that happen in every year, but let's not just go, oh, I'm glad that year's over. I really hope the next one's better. Let's, instead of thinking that way, maybe think and step back and say, Lord, thank you for this last year that you've given me breath in my lungs and a life that I could live, people I could invest in, the gospel that I could share, that I could pray and worship you and grow in you. And so, Lord, for this coming year, I'm not going to pray, Lord, help it to be a better year than last year. Lord, help me to draw closer to you this year than last year. Help me to learn from what I went through last year that I might live fully devoted lives, that we would live fully devoted lives in Christ. And so this morning, as we're beginning this series, I, I just want to help us have the right mindset. I know I can do this too. Don't let a negative situation or something that happened last year taint what God did last year. I, I just want to tell you, as a pastor of this church, I have been so blown away by what God has done this last year in our church. It has been amazing. And I'm not talking about, it's been great to see new people coming in and and, and we see visitors coming in and return visitors and new members. And it's been great to see how God is growing our church this year, baptisms and people becoming, again, fully devoted followers of Christ, people being discipled, people being brought up and trained up in the word of God from our children's ministry to one-on-one discipleship. And it's so amazing to see all of that happening and watch the Lord do what he said he would do in Matthew. I will build my church. We saw that last year. And in our community, as far as Christianity is concerned, the church is concerned, we've seen some amazing things and and other churches experiencing growth and things happening where God is blessing them and providing buildings for them as they needed a place to meet. There's a church in our community that was able to get into a building and, and it was such a blessing that they literally said, God just gave us this building and we rejoice in that. 
Like God is doing great things in Lapeer County, in our communities. He is moving and he is growing his church. It has been a great year. But as I said earlier, I truly believe, and I've said this, I think every single year, because I still believe it to be true, that Lapeer County, these communities, Sanilac County, they have yet to see a church of fully devoted followers of Christ, where we literally allow Christ to saturate every area of our lives. Now, there's been churches that have been used by God to do great things, and he's using our church, but I want to be that church that's a church of fully devoted followers of Christ that just keep our eyes on him. And we're going to talk about in a couple weeks here, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about being perfect Christians. We're talking about being faithful followers of Christ and endeavoring for that. It's been great to see what God has done this last year, but I truly believe the best is yet to come. This year, I'm praying, and I pray that you'll pray with me, that God will do things in our midst that we will sit back at the end of this year and say, Lord, you did that. That was all for your glory. That was all for you. And so I don't know what individual things you're praying for God to do in your life. Maybe certain things that your goals that you're setting for your own self. And that's amazing to do that. Set goals and strive for those goals. That's all good. But I pray that more than just physical things that we want God to do in our lives, that we would physically stop doing this or start doing that. That we would get in shape or do this or do that with our physical. I pray that before we get to that point, we talk about the spiritual goals that we set for ourselves. To pray to be in his word, to disciple and be discipled, to gather with the body of Christ. I pray that those things would be our key goals that we would strive for. And then out of that comes those other goals and aspirations through the year. So this year, we are beginning the year with a series starting off on the right foot. And my goal in this series is to get our year started on the right foot with the right mindset and in the right direction. When we start off on the right foot and we start in the right direction, it changes everything. Everything is different when we have the right mindset at the beginning. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but many times I did not start off on the right foot. And then somewhere in the process, I realized what I needed to do and I tried to adjust mid-course. And it's good and it's helpful, but there's times that we look back and we go, man, if I would have just started off on the right foot, everything would have been better. If I just would have known this when I started, everything would have been better. We've heard people say when they get to be, you know, later on in years, they'll say, man, I wish I knew in my 20s what I knew now. What are they really saying? I wish I could have started off on a better foot. Now, none of this is to say that God can't take you right where you are, whatever you've gone through. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is in regards to this year, right now, new day, new mercy, we're starting off on the right foot as followers of Christ. And we're going to endeavor to have the right mindset. So what is the best way to start off a new year? What is the best way to start off 2023? Well, I want to look at an example in God's word of someone starting off on the right foot. Someone trying and endeavoring and striving to have the right mindset, the right attitude as they begin a journey. You can go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page two hundred and. 61. So 261 is the page number if you're using one of the Bibles provided. You can also follow along on our app with our notes section. Just go into media, sermon notes, and you'll see the notes for today. So 1 Kings chapter 3. Now in the notes, it's going to give you the whole passage that we're going to read. 
we're going to break it up a little bit. So we're just going to read some sections and talk about what's there and then move to the next section. So prayerfully, uh, and, and you guys know me well, um, my goal is to get through the whole first sermon on the first Sunday of the series. But you guys are kind of in a little bit of a spot because last time around, I had to end my series at a certain point because we had Christmas. And now Christmas series is done. So, But now we got nothing to worry about in February. So we got weeks. We can just keep going. So we'll see where the Lord leads. But 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 4. Look at verses 4 and 5 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer up on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Now this is Solomon. He's beginning his reign as king. He's starting off as king of Israel. He's beginning this journey. I know many of you are familiar with Solomon and all that went into his life and the good and the bad and some of the writings that he did, obviously, and some of the things that God blessed him with and, and all of that. But we want to talk about this beginning moment of him starting off on the right foot. Let's pray and ask God to give us his wisdom. Father, we need you this morning. We need you every hour. We need you every moment. We hunger for your mercy. We hunger for your grace. We hunger for your wisdom. We need you to instill in us by the working of your Holy Spirit the wisdom that would draw us unto knowledge in your word, practical application of that wisdom in our lives. So, Lord, that we would live in a way that would honor you and be a blessing to ourselves and to others. So, Father, as we begin this year, it's been said a few times now, but I pray that we would have this mindset. Lord, that we wouldn't be surface in these goals we set, but we would desire to go deeper than that, to pray, to seek you, to honor you in the decisions that we're trying to make and the goals we're trying to set. Lord, I also pray that you would, as we said before, you'd be with the one here, maybe many, that came out of the last year, Lord, and, and had that cultural mindset of just, so glad that's over. Lord, I pray that you'd comfort them, that your grace would meet them right there where they are, because I know that we all go through things, Lord, that we don't enjoy or expect or desire. But I pray that if they're a follower of Christ, that they know Christ is their Savior, that you would help them to know that you will and have used everything they've gone through for their good and ultimately, Lord, for your glory. So help us to trust that, that you are God of a plan, you are God of purpose, you are God of intention. Lord, there's no such thing as a wasted tear when we're followers of Christ, that you use all of it. I don't know how you do that. I don't understand how you do that, but you do. To make us more into the image of Christ. Again, it doesn't mean our lives are going to be rosy and perfect and joyful every single day as far as circumstances and situations. But Lord, we have the joy of the Lord, which will endure even the most difficult situations. And so Lord, again, we thank you for all that you do that you have done, and we pray that we would open our hearts and our minds, not one or the other. It's not just emotion or intellect, it's both. And desire that you would instruct us from your word by the working of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be teachable this morning. Help us to be pliable. Help us to receive what you have for us. And again, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So here we see God appears to Solomon. He appears to him in a dream and he asks him a question. What shall I give you? Now I want you to pause for a minute. Now some of you know the story. Some of you have read the text. Some of you are still reading the text as I'm talking. You're like, let me go back and finish that. Because you're just that personality. You just got to know. How does it end? I want to know what happens or remind myself what happens. But I want to ask you, what, don't answer out loud, but what would your response be to that question? If God was to appear to you and say, I will give you whatever you ask, so what will you ask? How would you answer that question? Now, we also have to pause and note, when did this happen? It happened during worship. Solomon is bringing offerings. He's worshiping in a very large scale. He's bringing honor to God. He's praising God. He's worshiping God. And in that moment of worship, because I believe Solomon's heart was in the right place, his mind was in the right place, he was humbling himself and he was honoring and exalting God. He was promoting God as king of kings and lord of lords. And even though he was a human king, he was not at all believing himself to be equal with God. He knew you are still God. And I will, I will guarantee you that the Bible shows itself to be true over and over again. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we realize who he is and who we are not, which then reminds us who we are, and we humble ourselves before him and we lay before him and we seek him, he will show up. He will guide us and he will lead us. And we know that's true because he does it through his word. I don't need God to show up to me in a dream And tell me what he has for me and what he desires of me. He gave me his word which lays out what his expectations are, what his desires are, what his values are, what his character is like. We don't need a dream. But in this case, God showed up to Solomon in the midst of worship. Solomon's praising God. And in that attitude, in that right heart of worship, God revealed himself to Solomon and asked him a simple question. John chapter 4 Jesus tells the woman at the well that God seeks these who would worship him. Who are the these? Those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you know what Solomon was doing in 1 Kings 3? He was worshiping God in spirit and in truth. He was in agreement with who God is, and he was worshiping God in accordance with that truth. And in spirit, with all that he was, was laying himself bare before God. And in that moment of true transparency and vulnerability, God shows up and asks Solomon a question. What would you have me to give you? What do you want, Solomon? Now, again, maybe if you're sitting here and God was to ask you that question, a lot of things would run through your mind. If we're being honest, now I know the church answer is one thing and our real answer can be another. But many of us might think about asking for more money. Because if I just had more money, everything would be better. I would be able to take care of bills, take care of these responsibilities. I would be able to be generous, right? which I always love when Christians do that. Lord, if you just help me win the lottery, I'd be so generous with that money. I would tithe. I would be such a good believer. Oh, Lord, I'd give all the money to the church. God doesn't do it because no, he knows you're lying. You're just, no, you're not going to do it. But we think that maybe if I just had more money, God, just give me enough money to be comfortable, to be generous. Maybe success in your position, your career, maybe some level of popularity. Just help me to be accepted that I might be able to share your gospel. Maybe a level of power or authority that you think, if I just had that authority, then I could really be used of God to do what he's called me to do. Maybe yours would simply be something like this. Lord, just make my life better. Just help me to live a better life. And then we have to define better. What does that mean? So many of us, many thoughts would run through our mind. Many of us would wonder, how could we answer that question? Let's look at Solomon's response to this question. 
Look at verse 6. So 1 Kings 3 and verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now note there when you read the kings, first and second kings, and you read all the listing of the kings. Many of you have probably done this when you were maybe in Sunday school or junior church or whatever, VBS, you did something on the kings. I know we did one recently. You're going to find out that they're going to list a king, and then they'll tell you, the author will tell you, is this a good king or a bad king? And now many of you know this, but the southern kingdom had some good, some bad, the northern kingdom, all bad for the most part. And so when you think about that, how did they rate the good and the bad kings? Well, if it was a good king, they would always compare to David. Like David, they walked in righteousness. Like David, and yet we have to pause and say, did David always walk in uprightness and righteousness and perfect faith and live before God in perfect covenant and never failed? Of course not. We know multiple occasions where he failed. Two key failures taking the census of the people which God forbid and did not, was not pleased with, and his sin with Bathsheba. And yet, why is it that Solomon says, but you were so good to my father, David, you showed him great kindness, and he, he walked in righteousness, and he walked in uprightness, and he walked in a heart that was like yours. Why does he say that? Because, yes, David sinned, but David also repented. And David turned from that sin and cried out for forgiveness. And see, salvation, forgiveness of sin has always been by grace, through faith. It's never been by being a good person, doing good things, and being perfect in the law. It's always by faith, through grace. Even all the way back in the Old Testament. It's when the people of God will call out for forgiveness, call out for mercy, and God would extend them grace. By faith, through grace. And so Solomon is referring to David. We have to pause and say, but David repented. And notice how God doesn't bring up David's sin anymore. Notice how Solomon doesn't really bring up David's sin anymore. But when we hear sermons on David, one of the first things we'll do is bring up his sin. By the way, if you've repented and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've turned from your sin and received Christ, God doesn't bring up your sin anymore. Now you might say, whoa, whoa, but I still remember my sin and I, I believe the Spirit convicted me. And well, yes, the Spirit convicts us of our sins so that we might turn from it and not go back into it like a dog returning to its vomit. But God doesn't hold our sin over us and, and, and kind of let, held it over our head and say, well, yeah, but you did this and you did that and you did this. No, he says it's washed away in the blood. It's forgiven. And so David here is referred to as one who walked in righteousness. And Solomon is praising God for the kindness and the mercy and the grace that he showed David, even in letting his son sit on the throne. Verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, see that humility, that exaltation of the Father. Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Now, this doesn't mean he was literally a child. What is he saying? My understanding, my wisdom, my knowledge is like a child. I don't even understand whether I'm coming or going. That's kind of how I would read that. Verse 8 goes on to say, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore, here's the request, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart 
to judge thy people, that I might discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Now, Solomon asked for an understanding heart to judge and the ability to discern what is right and wrong. So he specifically says, I need an understanding mind and heart to be able to judge between right and wrong with the people and to discern. Discern just means using wisdom to make judgments. I'm discerning between A or B. And so Solomon asks for that. Now, all the things Solomon could have asked for, all the things that could have run through your mind, he says, I know who I am. I have very little knowledge. I have very little understanding. I don't know how to judge. You've, you've called me and you've placed me as a king before your great people, this great multitude. I can't lead them, Lord. I can't guide them. I can't direct them. I'm limited in my understanding, but you, God, are not limited. Would you give me your wisdom? Would you give me your understanding that I would be able to judge right and wrong and to discern? Look, look verse 10. Let's see God's response to this request. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked for riches for thyself, nor hast asked uh, the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. So God is saying, you could have asked for all these things. You could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for a long life. You could have asked for your enemies to have a short life. You could have asked for anything. But because you asked for this, understanding and to discern judgment, verse 12, behold, I have done according to thy word. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Now, verse 14 is, is key. And this is where we have to remind ourselves, this is Old Testament. This is connecting back to a covenant made with Abraham, a covenant made with David, and now a reminder of that covenant with Solomon. He says this in verse 14, And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk. Again, notice God is implying he did this, but we know David didn't do it perfectly. But yet God is saying he did because in God's economy, he's forgiven, he's free. He's repented and his sin has been forgiven. He goes on to say this, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and, of offer, and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Man, what an account. Solomon could have asked for anything and he asked for these things. God granted his request for wisdom in these areas and went above and beyond by granting him riches and honor and a long life. Now, it is important to note, if you know the story of Solomon, that just because Solomon knew what was wise does not mean everything that Solomon did was wise. This is where we have to understand the Bible records what happened, and everything that happened was not always pleasing to the Father. Things that Solomon did in his life were not in agreement with what God desired. And Solomon had the wisdom to know what to do, but oftentimes, like many of us, we know what to do. It's doing what we know we ought to do. And so we have to understand that. 
that just because Solomon knew what was wise does not mean everything that Solomon did was wise. In fact, some have suggested the choices that Solomon made actually led to the dividing of the kingdom of Israel into a northern and southern kingdom. However, he started off on the right foot. He began on the right foot. He started off with the right mindset. What was his greatest need as king? What was his greatest need to lead the people? His need was wisdom. Not human wisdom, God's wisdom. And he went and he sought after God. Notice that it begins with worship and this experience ends with worship. This is why the music we sing, the offerings we give, the time we gather to worship, the preaching of his word, the ministry we do that is worship, all of it is worship meant to praise him, to lift him up. And I believe in those moments of worship, we are pliable and teachable before the Lord. When we're singing songs of praise to him, I pray that you're not just mouthing the words on the screen, but you're in an attitude of prayer. You're in a spirit of worship where you're saying, God, I pray that you would reveal to me what you have for me. And I'm not talking about just an experience or an emotional high or any of those other things that we want to talk about. I'm talking about truth that leads to emotion. I'm talking about understanding what these words are saying. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. What is the love of God clearly expressed to us? The gospel. In this, God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is the foundation we're building our lives upon? It is the love. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, Christian, if you built your life upon the gospel, how would your decisions be affected daily? How would your financial decisions be affected? How would your hobbies be affected? How would your entertainment choices be affected? If you truly did what we all just saying we were going to do, we all just saying, I will build my life upon this foundation. Not part of my life, not some of my life, not this part of my life, not Sunday mornings, my life. We all just saying that in worship. Now, did we really mean it as an act of prayer and an act of commitment to God? Or do we just sing it because we're supposed to sing it because it's on the screen and everyone around me is singing it. So I guess I'll just sing it. Times of worship should never be put aside as just singing a song or just reading the word or just, just praying. And those are times that we can engage God and he engages us. So I want to learn from this example as we begin a new year. I want us to desire to start off with seeking the Lord's wisdom, seeking him for wisdom. This is the encouragement of the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament sister book or wisdom literature book in the New Testament, the book of James. Book of Proverbs is wisdom literature in the Old Testament. James in the New Testament is wisdom literature. It practically lays out how to live as followers of Christ in many different ways. It's not exhaustive in every avenue, but it teaches us to seek wisdom. Proverbs says we should seek wisdom like a valuable treasure, that it's worth so much. And where does wisdom begin? Where do I really understand and have wisdom? It becomes, or it comes from the fear of the Lord, that when I fear him, it is the beginning of knowledge. We need to trust in the word, believe in what it reveals to us that we would seek his wisdom. So as we journey through this series, and I wanted to spend some time here. I know we've been here for a little while now in this text and all of that. But I wanted to spend time here because this is the foundation of our series for the next four weeks or five or six or seven. Not eight. That's ridiculous. I would never do eight, Vic. Come on. 
But this, this is our foundation. This is what we're doing this, this next so many weeks. Notice I said that so many weeks. This is what we're doing. We're endeavoring to discover wisdom. So to begin with, I want to look at what wisdom would tell us as we begin this morning. Busy isn't better. If you're following along, you can jot that down. Busy isn't better. Now, I know I need to say amen to that because I know I can fall into this trap. And when I just said the title, I heard a little bit of a kind of a collective mm-hmm like in the crowd. So I pray this will resonate with you, but I, I think it's something that our culture has led us to believe. Now, I, I am going to move rather quickly, so uh, I don't want to camp on each one of these too long, but I want to give you this idea, and I pray it's an encouragement to you. You see, we believed a lie, and we believe this lie that the culture tells us And we believe this lie that the busy life is a successful life. That the busy life is a successful life. But what would wisdom tell us? What would God's word reveal to us? That's not true. The busy life is not the successful life. But the lie is, it is. Maybe you can resonate with this. So many people in our culture wear the badge of busy like a badge of honor. We hear people all the time speak in glowing terms of how we just can't slow down, how you know how it is. I just need to relax because we are just so busy. So many people find escapes from their busyness in substance or in other forms. I just have to go do this thing or have this to drink or I just have to do this at the end because I'm just, I'm so busy. And people in our culture go, I know how it is. And we wear those as as statements or badges of honor. And yet people in our communities, people in our culture are running themselves literally ragged. The number of people in our country that take medication for things like stress-induced depression, all kinds of things, has skyrocketed in the last 20 to 30 years. People are just running themselves crazy. They're running themselves so thin. They just, they're just trying and they're more and more and more and more and busy, busy, busy. And then we wonder why we get to the end of a day and we just feel depleted, defeated, exhausted. Life can be busy. Life is busy in and of itself. But I believe we have a choice in how busy we are day to day. We all have busy seasons. We all have times in our year where there's just a little bit of a ramp up with work or a ramp up with family or different things. There's all kinds of things that come into our life where just busy seasons happen. However, we should not pursue busy for busy's sake. We should not think that's how it's supposed to be. I should always just be running and running and running and going. Most of us do this, and most people in our culture seek busy and pursue these things because we're trying to amass stuff. We're trying to build our kingdoms. We're trying to amass our finances or our stuff or our toys or our things. But honestly, is that really wise? Well, Luke 12, 13 through 21 is an amazing story. You can jot it down. I I'm not sure if I put that in your notes. I might have added that after. But Luke 12, 
13 to 21 is an amazing example of someone that amassed and amassed and amassed and built and built and built and tore down and built again because I've got so much stuff. And Jesus says, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. We pursue all these things. We fill our lives with all these things. We're so busy trying to chase all these worldly and cultural desires because the world tells us busy is better. Busy is successful. The busy person we look at and go, wow, they're just so, man, they're so important. They're just going all the time. But do we really have to live that way? Does wisdom say that's really how we should be living? Or are we just trying to amass a bunch of stuff because the culture says that's what we're supposed to do? Again, I understand that at times our schedules are determined by the choices of others. Our schedules are determined by the choices of others. School activities, sports, family get-togethers, work commitments can dictate how we spend a week. However, I do believe that if we look closely, there are times in our day where we can and should slow down. If you really want to be intentional with starting your year off right and refusing to believe that busy for busy sake is better, a great place to start is to journal your time. To actually sit down with pen and paper. I know that's weird, but write it down. Get a pen, paper, pencil, crayon. I don't care. Write it down. I want you to pick a couple days in the week. Pick a Monday, a Thursday, a Saturday. Just pick a couple days. And for 24 hours, write down everything you did that day. Hour to hour. What did I do? Including sleep. I went to bed at this time. I got up at this time. Write it down for 24 hours, three days. I promise you, you will be blown away with how you're spending your time, if in how you're investing your time, and where you're finding yourself doing things and being consumed with things that really don't need to be there. Just journal your time. Look at your time. If we're going to seek his wisdom, when we want God's wisdom in our life, we got to start looking practically at our day and go, how am I spending the time he's graciously given me? Am I investing this or am I just spending it? Am I just wasting it? You will find and be amazed at how you're using your time. You'll also be amazed at how much time you really have. So many people say, I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy for that. They'll journal their time and they'll say, wow, I didn't realize I had so much time that I wasn't really doing anything. I also want you to note how much time are you giving to rest? I didn't say sleep. I said rest. How much time are you giving to rest, to re- relaxation? Because that is so vital to our health, spiritually, physically. Which brings us to the second lie that we're told in our culture, that rest is laziness. So many people will tell you that rest is laziness. Do more, do more, do more, do more. Now there's an example in Exodus chapter 18 We're not going to turn there for time's sake, but you can jot it down. It's a familiar story. We actually just covered this on Wednesday nights here a little while back. Uh, Exodus 18, verses 13 through 18. Exodus 18, verses 13 through 18. Here we see that Moses is judging the people of Israel. His father-in-law Jethro shows up and he's watching this. And Moses is sitting down from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And he's just dealing with the people's stuff. Could you imagine this? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people a day bringing you their arguments, their disputes, your neighbors coming in saying he took this, they did this. 
their dogs barking all night. They did this, right? They got a rooster. They're not supposed to have a rooster two feet out my bedroom window. That's a little personal, but I just go and throw that out there. My son one morning said, we're going to have some fried chicken today, Dad. We're going to have some fried chicken. We, we, we hear, imagine this, all these complaints, all these things coming in hour after hour, and Jethro's watching this. And he goes to Moses and says, what are you doing? You will literally kill yourself with all of this. You can't do this. Now, I think it was twofold. One, he loved his son-in-law and wanted the best for him. But two, he didn't want his daughter to be a widow at a young age. So he's thinking longevity here. You can't do this every day, all day, your whole life, Moses. It's, it's not possible. So some of you know the story. He gives wisdom to Moses and he says, divide it up and delegate and give people positions that they can judge some things. And then you just kind of deal with the key things that they really can't handle. And I promise you, it'll be better for you. It'll be better for the people. It'll be better for everyone. That was wisdom. Jethro gave practical wisdom. Notice he doesn't command Moses to do these things. He doesn't say, you have to do this. He just suggests it to Moses as wisdom. And then Moses, in wisdom, receives that and applies that. So what does that mean? Moses intentionally lifted the load that he was carrying so that he wouldn't be as busy, as stressed, so there'd be time for rest, time for relaxation. Now, relaxation isn't necessarily saying you just lay out, right, by a pool or something, what we're trying to think about. Rest can literally be 15 minutes, a half hour, where you just are still. You just calm yourself down. You just take a break. You just sit down somewhere. So many people, though, haven't learned how to do this. We tend to think that if we sit down or rest or intentionally lighten the load, I am being lazy. Some of us were taught that growing up with the example of a parent that worked so much and never slowed down was was working morning to night, morning to night, every day, all day, always working. And we go, man, they had such a great work ethic. That's great. They probably worked really, really hard. But did you also notice that they weren't very involved day to day in your life? Do you know we have families right now where children barely see their parents because they're working so much? Now, some have to work long hours. Some don't and choose to. There's a big difference there. Some think, I got to go, 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 24-7, 24-7. Never slow down because then I'm being lazy. No, no, no. If you don't slow down, you will do less in your life for the Lord. You have to slow down. You have to make rest intentional. You have to learn to delegate and lighten your load and look for opportunities to say, Lord, I don't have to do this. I don't have to work that overtime. Yeah, that may mean we won't get as nice a car, as nice of this, as nice of that, but that's okay. I'm investing in my children. That's so much more valuable. Maybe we don't have to work 80 hours a week to provide for our family basic needs. Maybe we can lighten the load and invest where things matter most. We need to work, obviously, to provide for our family. We need to be good stewards and care for the things we have, which take time. We are called to serve in and through the local church, which takes time. However, none of those things are intended by the Lord to cause us to work ourselves near death. Physically, emotionally, or mentally. Jethro wanted the best for his son-in-law and didn't command Moses to delegate. He shared wisdom and let Moses make his own choice. Secondly, 
We need to pray for wisdom to discern. We need to pray for wisdom to discern. As we talk about all of this, and I know I said, you know, you have to work, but you also have to rest. And you have to do this, but you have to do that. And I know it might say, well, preacher, you sound like you're kind of saying both things. You're kind of talking out both sides of your mouth. And, and you're kind of saying one thing, saying another. Because there is no hard and fast black and white rule. Every individual, every situation is different. So rather than tell you a list of things to do and not do, as far as work this many hours or rest this many hours or do whatever, I would much rather you go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom to discern this between this. Because then when you make that choice, it's a conviction of the spirit, not an encouragement from your preacher that can be changed and manipulated or overturned. See, we need to pray for wisdom to discern. What does that look like? Well, saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. Saying yes to one thing means you're saying no to another thing. There is a great freedom in learning to say yes and no to the things asked of our time. As parents, I'm speaking to myself as a parent and any parents or grandparents here, we must learn to set this example before our children. Just because we can do something with our time that would add busyness to our schedule doesn't mean we should do that thing. Weighing out what's good and using wisdom in what is best. Just because you could do that thing doesn't necessarily mean it's wise to do that thing. Just because you could add that hour, two hour, three hour thing into your schedule that would make it a little busier doesn't mean you necessarily should. But maybe it does. And this is where we have to pray for wisdom. Which brings me to a point as a parent, I've had to learn this and I, I see so many parents in our culture falling into this trap. And I say this, I put right in my notes, lovingly, because I do mean this lovingly. I want parents to know your children do not determine your schedule. What do I mean by that? I've met so many parents who say yes to everything their children want to do and end up being overwhelmed and burned out at the end of the week because they just never said no. Now, I'm not talking about things that are not appropriate, behavioral things. I'm talking about just things that are commitments. I've met parents, you've met parents that are just, they just don't know how to say no. Their children want to do this activity or that thing or this thing or that thing or that thing. And in our culture, it's just like, yeah, say yes, say yes, say yes, say yes, say yes. And then what we're teaching our children is to give a little bit of yourself to everything and not all of yourself to one or two key things. Again, I'm not saying we can't do these things. I'm just saying let's use wisdom as parents to teach our children who, by the way, you're the parent. Parents. Our culture has forgotten this. We live in a culture where children rule the house. Where children tell their parents what they're going to do. That's not according to God's word. Mom and dad, you're mom and dad. You have wisdom. You have instruction from the Lord to raise up and nurture your child in the Lord. And that means setting before them an example of what is wisdom. So lovingly, pray for it. Seek it. Weigh out that decision. Just if, if one of my boys wants to do a certain activity, it's not a yes and no right out the gate. Uh, sometimes it might be, but often it's not. Usually, Sandra and I will talk about it. Well, what do you think? Well, we have this going on and this going on. This is coming up in a couple of months. This is what we're coming out of. You know what? I think they need some time to just kind of 
decompress and focus on this and this. Sometimes we'll say, you know what? This and this is going on. This is just let up. That would be fine. We could make that work and that would be fine. It'd be a little busy, but not too bad. These are the conversations parents need to have. Just because a child wants to do something. By the way, they're a child. They're not using wisdom to think about the big picture of everything else going into that. And so I just want to encourage you. We need to know that saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. And we don't need to run ourselves ragged when wisdom says, just say no. Just pray for wisdom on that. Again, every family is different. Every situation is different. There is no hard and fast rule. But that is why we need wisdom to discern. For the seasons we are in with other things going on that are out of my control. Remember, I said that. You might be in a season of busyness just because your work and commitments and things like you can't control that. So when something is in your power to control, that's where you can say, you know what? I can't say yes to this because I, I have to say yes to this. This is something I can't say no to. So that made the decision for me in some ways. But so many people will try to cram it all in and then they get to the end of the day and they just feel whooped. And again, we, we can be busy in a sense, but we should never pursue that. We should never desire that. Saying yes to everyone is not realistic. I don't know who needs to write that down. I don't know who needs to make a note of that. But some of you, I know you need to do that. I know I need to do that. Saying yes to everyone is not realistic. Stop putting that expectation on yourself. Again, let's teach our children to be okay with saying no, unless it's to us. And learning to embrace wisdom, discernment. I want my children to grow in a way that they would understand wisdom and discernment to when they are approached by friends or situations or things, they go, you know what? That's just not wise right now. I just can't give time to that. I'm committed over here. Which brings me to this next point in your notes. What are automatic yeses as followers of Christ? What are automatic yeses as followers of Christ? We'll go through this and then we'll close in just a moment. What are automatic yeses? So there are key things as followers of Christ that we must work our schedules around to accommodate, not work into our existing schedules. I'm going to say that again. There are key things as followers of Christ that we must work our schedules around to accommodate, not work into our existing schedules. You don't start your day saying, if I have time, I will pray. If I have time, I will read. If I have, no, no, no. These are the things I'm doing, and if I have time, I'll do those other things. I will gather with the body of Christ. I will go to church, and if I have time after or before church, I'll do those things. These are the, the automatic biblical yeses. We cannot say no to these things. Now, how we apply them, how much time we give to them, and you'll understand in a moment— that is discernment, but we, they need to be present in our daily lives. So the first one, these are easy ones. You can jot them down if you want. I think you have a little note section there. They're not in the notes per se, but there's a little note section under there. Simple things, prayer. Oh, come on, preacher, we know that. Do we? Do we really pray daily, consistent, hardcore, honest, open, transparent prayers? Time in his word. Do you know how many Christians don't spend time in his word daily because they're just too busy? Preacher, I can't give 15 minutes to the Bible. I'm just too busy. You're right. 
So what needs to go in your schedule to make time for that? Discipling those in our home. Don't even talk about your neighbors yet. We ain't talking about your neighbors, your community, your coworkers. Those people need to be discipled. And if God lays them on your heart, praise God. But start with those in your house. If you're married, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. If you've raised your family and now there's really just you and your spouse in the home, you're still discipling each other, by the way. You're still motivating and encouraging and instructing each other in the things of Christ. Prayer, time in his word, discipling those in our home, serving in the church, serving outside the church. Again, things that take time, but they're biblically laid out that these are things that should be in our lives. Sharing our faith, making it a point to see opportunities to share our faith. And then church involvement. What do I mean by that? Being active in the church gatherings. I'm just too busy. I just can't make it. I hope when you lay out your time and you journal your time, you'll find out you have three hours of free time. You might say, what's three hours of free time? That's church in a week. Hour and a half Sunday morning. So I guess it's more like three and a half hours. Hour on Sunday night, hour on Wednesday night. We'll even say three and a half, three hours and 45 minutes for coming and going and coffee and whatever. So here's the question. In your week, in seven days, do you have four hours you can give to the Lord and to church? Well, yeah, but preacher, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's fine. Again, these are the biblical yeses that we lay out. And are we going to start the year off on the right foot? Or are we just going to keep doing what we've always done and see the same results? So I want to be clear on this. It is possible to take these things and believe that because I am busy doing one of them, I am okay. Because I'm so busy in prayer. I'm so busy in reading his word. The truth is we still need to be wise. If I study the word for 12 hours a day and neglect other commitments, I am not applying the book I am studying. If I pray for 12 hours a day but do not serve, how can God use me to answer the prayers that I'm praying? Everything in wisdom, everything in balance, everything according to God's word. Lord, I pray, but then I seek an opportunity to be the answer to my own prayer as you use me to bless somebody else. Lord, I study, but so that I can instruct and disciple someone else in your word, that I would grow and they would grow. All of these things, again, could be taken and made to be the busy thing, but yet again, not in wisdom, can actually do harm. I say these are non-negotiables because we are called and commanded by Scripture to find ourselves doing these things consistently. When we get busy, we cannot cut one of these things out completely, or we will find greater stress and tension. I'm so busy. I just can't study today. That's not going to help you to feel better. That's not going to give you that peace, that comfort, that joy that you need. I also must note that when seeking which areas to say no to, history tells us, and my own experience in ministry tells me, that ministry or church are the first to go because we can skip church and still be saved, but skipping work leads to unemployment. Well, I can't skip work, so I, gotta, I can't skip, I got to skip church. It doesn't have to be an either or. We can say, Lord, I want to be faithful in your church, but give me wisdom in how and which ways to serve. Don't believe the lie that busy is better. We must learn to slow down and rest. There is freedom in realizing that saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. However, as a follower of Christ, we are called to say yes to the things of the Lord. Prayer, study, serving, and gathering with the local church are the things that remain when we cut back because we are too busy. 
So what's the challenge this morning? In 2023, I want to encourage you to make these things a priority. To be in his word. To pray. To serve. To disciple. To gather with the body. And I promise you, if you will make a consistent habit out of these things. And you might say, what do you mean? Going to church, studying the Bible, praying. These are habits that we develop. You know how many people I've talked to that with the COVID situation that came up and people that were legitimately concerned about COVID and concerned about sickness and all of that back in 2020. Do you know how many people that was the reason they took a break from church, which is personal choice, no judgment. But you know, some of those families are still not in church today because that broke the habit. And now it's just easier to stay home. I was just telling Sandra today, you know, having online services for people that can't make it out. We have people that are sick at times and shut-ins and they can jump online and they can watch a service. Praise God for that. That's such a cool technology thing that we have the ability to do. But do you know how many people could gather and don't because I'll just stay home and watch it online? Again, missing out on the fullness of what this year can be. Let's, let's commit today to say, Lord, I'm not going to be busy for busy's sake. I'm going to make a purposeful effort to say yes and to say no with wisdom, to find time to rest, but I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to make these the non-negotiables and I'm going to commit to saying yes to the things that you say yes to. And give me wisdom in this year to do that consistently. Would you bow your heads with a word of prayer as we have a word of prayer as the praise band comes and lead us in a song of invitation. Uh, simple invitation this morning, just with your heads bowed and as you begin to pray there. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. In just a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song of worship. I'm going to ask you, if, if you feel led of the Lord to do this, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to bend a knee in the front of the auditorium. I'm going to ask you to just say, Lord, give me wisdom. That in all that I say and all that I do this year, give me your wisdom to discern, your wisdom to say yes and no to the things I should be saying yes and no to. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, Lord, give me the wisdom to grow in your word that I might disciple and lead others to that, to that knowledge. Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, this year is your year. Maybe you want to come in right here, Sunday morning, January 1, you're going to commit this year to him. Say, this is your year. Lord, whatever you'd have me to do, wherever you'd have me to go, whatever you'd have me to say, it's yours. So I want to ask if you feel the Lord leading you to do that, maybe you would do that this morning. Just don't worry about anyone else. Just come and commit this Lord to him. Put feet to it and come forward and bow a knee and say, Lord, this is your year. Father, may you be glorified in all that has been said and done. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as our Lord and personal Savior, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you before they leave this place. It is not being a good person, going to church, doing good things that leads us to salvation. It is solely receiving the free gift of salvation that by faith, through grace, we would believe and trust that you died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, and that anyone who believes in you would have their sin forgiven and find heaven as their home. Lord, for those that don't know you, I pray that they would know that when they leave this world in their sin, the Bible says their only destination is a place of hell for punishment of their sin. But I pray, Lord, they would know they don't have to choose that. They can turn and choose and repent of their sin and trust Christ. So, Father, may you do the work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, I pray you would draw uh, those to repentance that need to repent. But, Father, I pray that you would also give us wisdom. We'd commit this year to, your, year to you. It's yours. 
Every day you give a breath in our lungs. I pray that we would live for you. And may we make that commitment today, Lord, not to be perfect, but to be faithful. Father, we thank you for all of this work now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you come? Would you come and say, Lord, give me wisdom in this year? This year is yours. I want to surrender it to you. Would you come and pray? Many are moving. Would you join them in praying and committing this year to them, to the Lord, as we sing the song of praise?